0: Hello, hello, and welcome again to a Beatles program called Things We Said Today. This is a weekly talk show podcast in which we cover any topic we feel like about the Beatles, any part about their past, the present, sometimes even the future. I'm Ken Michaels, one of the regular co-hosts of the show. You might know me from my other Beatles program, which is a syndicated show called The Beatles Every Little Thing. And I'm being joined by my three regular co-hosts, first of all, the man who writes, he's a contributing writer for billboard.com, also for access, A-X-S.com. and that being Steve Marinucci. Hi, Steve. Hello, Ken. Hello, everyone. Also, we have the executive editor for Beatle Fan Magazine, and that is Al Sussman. Hi, Al. Hi, Ken. Hello there, everybody. And also a contributing writer for Beatle Fan and a freelance writer. He spent many years working in the classical department at the New York Times, still occasionally writes for them, as well as the Wall Street Journal and lots of other publications. And that being Alan Kozen. Hi, Alan. Hey, Ken. Hello, everyone. And once again, we bring back a special guest to the program that being Kit O'Toole. Kit is the author of several books of interest to Beatle fans, one of which is called Songs We Were Singing. Guided tours through the Beatles' lesser known tracks, and more recently, a book on Michael Jackson called Michael Jackson FAU. And every now and then, we need to bring a female onto the show to <laughs> keep, keep the men in check here. What? So we've been told. And uh, we welcome Kit to the show. Hi, Kit.
1: Hi, Ken. Hello, gentlemen, and hello, everyone. <laughs>
2: Want to run for president?
3: Yeah. <laughs> gentlemen gentlemen who came in oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: on the show today uh we've got a main topic to get to which has to do with apple and what we feel they have done right in order to uh protect and preserve the beatles legacy and we will get to that in just a few moments so before we do that There is yet but another major passing that we have to take note of. And it's someone near and dear to us in the Beatle world, and that being Leon Russell. Leon, uh, an extremely talented man, extremely talented musician, played a variety of instruments, probably best known for the piano, great uh, arranger and conductor, had a long career in the music business, session man. Um, We know about his connection with the Beatles, especially with George Harrison in participation with the concert for Bangladesh, and a lot of great music that he recorded by himself. I want to get everyone's take here, and I'll, I'll also, uh, at the very end, tell you my thoughts about Leon. But uh, why don't we start with um, Alan, your thoughts on Leon Russell.
2: Um, well, you know, I mean, he had, uh, apart from his session work, which, um, you know, I really sort of knew about only recently, you know, seeing his name turn up on credits that I had never noticed before, and, and thinking, wow that's, "Wow, that's Leon Russell." Um, mm-hmm. I had known him mainly, you know, through the concert for Bangladesh and um, and his solo albums that came out just around that time and and afterwards. And you know, he had that he had that really sort of great bluesy, down home vocal and piano style. Um, that uh, there really was you know when you think about the Concert for Bangladesh I mean his work on it is one of the signature elements you know it just stands out um, all through and um, so yeah I mean he was a a great character and um, you know didn't follow his work really that closely but um, you know his work there was was exceptional
0: yeah. You know, the interesting thing about the concert from Bangladesh is while the artist is George Harrison and Friends, the Friends part played just a part in in that concert, as George Harrison did. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan sure. was such a major part of the of the show, as was Leon. Ringo was there. Eric Clapton, although he didn't get to do one of his songs. But uh, it really was overall a collaborative show with all those different artists. Um, Al, how about you?
4: Well, as a matter of fact, a lot of those uh, those singers that were in the background were recruited by Leon for that show. Because if you remember, it was only about uh, maybe a year and a half before that uh, that Leon had uh, uh, pulled together the uh, Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour for Joe Cocker, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, including taking a bunch of people that had been part of Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. And, uh, and, you know, including Rita Coolidge and Claudia Lanier and and various others. And, uh, uh, of course, as Alan mentioned, uh, Leon had been a session uh, man in the mid in the mid 60s. He wasn't really part of the, you know, the wrecking crew. But yes, he was. uh, Yes, he was. Was he? Was he actually a part of the wrecking crew? Okay. Yes. All right. Yes, he was. But he, he did a, a lot of session work, everybody from, from Sinatra to, well, the, I mean, the most obvious one obviously being Gary Lewis, uh,
0: mm-hmm. where
4: he either co-wrote or arranged all of his major hits that had also yep. been produced by, uh, by Snuff Garrett. And uh, he was also part of the house band on Shindig.
0: Mm-hmm. In fact, there's
4: uh if you dig mm-hmm. hard enough you can find on YouTube uh, a couple of clips of a very short haired Leon uh doing uh doing Jerry Lee Lewis. Huh. Um but mm-hmm. you know his real his prime years were in sixty nine, seventy, seventy-one, uh doing production work for Joe Cocker. Uh, and as I said, putting together the Mad Dogs and Englishman tour, uh, his, uh, his stint, and, um, and in fact, his second, is well, his first solo album after he and Denny Cordell uh, formed Shelter Records, his first album for Shelter, uh, George and Ringo played on that album. Mm-hmm. And then the second album, which was released in the spring of 71, uh, included Beware of Darkness
0: which right. is where
4: the idea came for George and Rit and Leon to kind of share the the lead vocal on that in the uh, in the concert for Bangladesh right and and he and he continued to be a a pretty major force uh f- until probably I guess the mid 70s but then you know beyond he also had a had a great deal of success in the, in the country uh the country world and uh Americana and on and on and uh and Elton John yeah. uh, is a great admirer of his in fact mm-hmm. he kind of uh, brought uh, brought Leon back uh, into the limelight a couple of uh, couple of years back, mm-hmm. for uh, uh, for a kind of a joint uh, a joint album and a tour.
2: The Union. Yep. The Union.
0: Yeah. The, the Union.
4: Cool. Yeah. Yes. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. Just a tremendous talent overall, mm-hmm. and uh, and still on classic rock radio, you will yes. hear those few songs, especially from the early seventies, "Tightrope" being one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, a song for you which is considered oh, a masterpiece sure. uh, at this point.
4: Joe Cocker's but, version of Delta Lady.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Right. He also uh co-wrote Superstar.
4: Yes. With <laughs> uh
0: Bonnie Bramlett which is one of my all-time favorite Carpenters recordings. Just a a masterpiece of a song. And um also This Masquerade which was a a major hit for uh George Benson. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know. So steve how about you i saw
3: leon um at a do at a day on the green um a long time ago and uh i, I don't remember a whole lot about the show <laughs> but i did also pick up the album uh, the leon live album and i hadn't listened to it. i had the vinyl and i hadn't really listened to it but i last night i bought it off of amazon and they give you a free mp3 download and i i put it on my phone today and i was listening to it and i was just blown away i could not believe how great that live album is mm. and i highly and i highly highly recommend it it is it is awesome it's it's basically mad dogs and Englishmen without joe cocker but it's it's fantastic <laughs> It's fantastic. Oh. I mean, oh, they are. He he just rocks away. And you mentioned Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Al, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, he he did play with Jerry. He t- apparently toured with Jerry Lee. Yeah. For some for a while, but not. I guess for a couple months in
4: mm-hmm. his
3: early career. I mean, the man has had. When I was writing about him last night, I was going through, and I mean, he was part of the Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there was a great story that that the guy who did the Wrecking Crew movie posted online last night he posted an outtake from the movie and i can't i can't i can't say the whole story here but apparently leon came into a phil specter recording session really drunk one day and he was messing around on the piano and phil was getting ticked phil was getting very ticked and phil and said don't you know anything about respect and leon looked straight at him and said yeah in other words he said he, he, beginning with that he told him and look at look for that clip on youtube it's fantastic it's hilarious and but um i mean the guy was extremely talented yeah i mean he just i remember you know listening to the hell out of uh, the Carney album i loved that album to death but that leon live album is, is great and i think that that is his him at his best and i mean it's it's got the the uh jump and jack flash medley that he did on on uh bangladesh which of course is is just he just took the house down with that that was just fantastic when he did that that mm-hmm. night and uh you know i mean it was just he was amazing he was fantastic uh the uh, uh, people were calling him by his nickname the master of time and space or mm-hmm. space and time yeah. And, and, and I mean, he, he was, he was, he was something else. He was, he was great. So, yeah, I mean, that was really sad to hear about that yesterday. And then on top of Leonard Cohen a couple of days earlier, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's been, it's been a, it's been a bad year, you know, a very bad year as far mm-hmm.
0: as
3: losing music musicians go. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, and real, real yeah. icons
3: too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, someone on someone on the internet has done a Sergeant Pepper cover with mm. all of the people who you know actors and and uh, musicians who've died. Plus uh, the where the flowers are that say Beatles on Pepper, it says mm-hmm. Brexit. And uh, there's some. Yeah, that, that was, says a, Make it, was it. Was basically
3: great. British though. There were mostly British. A lot of British yeah. artists. I, yeah. I didn't recognize. A, there were a, a I think there were a few American names that they left off. But yeah. it was basically somebody in England did it. Well, they. Yeah, up with Leonard
2: that- Cohn and uh, not yet with Leon. I, I imagine by the end of the year, um, I'm waiting for the end of the year to download that one. <laughs> mm. you know, see what happens because it's already pretty crowded.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it's kind of a part of life because a lot yeah. of these, a lot of these artists are, you know, coming coming to, uh, you know. The age where you know
0: it happens,
1: where
4: it, where it happens. Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, sure. Kit, any thoughts from you?
1: Well, um, you know, I, I will say, I, I I really was was struck by by, by uh, Liam Russell's death because I I really didn't realize how much I had kind of grown up with his music and and listening to his music and and i'll tell you i mean as a songwriter too i mean he, he's of course a wonderful performer and steve i'm going to when we're done here i'm going to pick up that leon live album that sounds amazing
3: it um, really it really is it's fantastic yeah. it was done in long beach i think i can't
4: remember what year early 70s so uh, yeah but yeah it's like 73 74 somewhere in that
1: neighborhood <laughs> yeah i got to pick that up but i just think a song for you is true in my opinion one of the best compositions i mean lyrically it's it's you know if i if i may be you know a little a little mushy here it, it's really one of the songs that that i it brings me to tears when i when mm-hmm. i hear it and um and and as you said this masquerade i mean you know i mean i i just think what's interesting about him is that you know, in his own work, he did do quite a bit of, of as you said, blues, uh, you know, down home kind of stuff. But look at how his music could be interpreted in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, my, my favorite version of a song for you, and I, I posted it on my Facebook page this week, was Donnie Hathaway. I mean, it's, I just hmm. love it. But as I said, Ray Charles did a great version. Uh, This masquerade, of course, you had George Benson, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, doing a jazz cover. uh, And Superstar, which I think Mm -hmm. is just a masterpiece of storytelling. I mean, I I just, uh, I mean, it's like a mini play. I mean, I I just always felt uh, the Carpenters, of course, had the hit with it, but so did Luther Vandross. And I I love his
3: version. Rita Coolidge. Rita Coolidge. Rita Coolidge.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, look at the, the range of people that have performed his, his songs.
3: Mm-hmm. And it
1: just shows that he could really be a musical chameleon. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like you always heard one of his songs and said, oh, yeah, that's a Leanne Russell song. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it sometimes was, was hard to, to detect, but I, I just think he was an absolute, I mean, he was so gifted, such an incredible songwriter that would just write from raw emotion. And uh, I'm, I'm going to miss him a lot.
3: And and one other thing that uh, that the Leon Live album, by the way, initially came out when that came out, it was three three albums. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. it was a three vinyl three vinyl albums. It's two CDs, yeah. I guess now. But uh, I was when I was listening to it this morning. Um, he does a tribute to. He talks about you know the people who influenced him, and he goes. One of the people that that uh, made me leave my job at Safeway, and I started laughing because, as you guys know that that's a there's a personal connection there mm-hmm. but um it, but anyway, um he said it was uh, little Richard and he starts doing this great. And I don't know the title of it. I don't have the album in front of me, so I can't tell you the title, but he does this tribute to little Richard and he just literally just pounds away on the piano. And it mm-hmm. is absolutely incredible just to, to, to go. He just goes over and over and over again. He, he's, he was an absolutely brilliant pianist. I mean, he was just, and he had this kind of countryist kind of, uh, and I mean, he played with so many different people besides I, I did you guys mention Willie? Nelson. I mean, he he did, yeah, a, did did a double a
4: double album with Willie right. uh, in the late seventies.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, he was just uh, he was really very versatile. I mean, you know, I mean, he was he was amazing. I think we we may have taken him. From, and Then he did the and he also did the Hank Wilson persona where he did yes. all the country, the country music. Stuff. Nice. I mean, he mm-hmm. was. I mean, he was from Oklahoma, so it's no surprise that he was into country music. But I mean, I mean, he was. I mean, at the time, as I recall, when he did the Hank Wilson stuff, there wasn't really a lot of attention being paid to Hank Williams. At least, at least that's my my uh, thinking. Oh,
4: there was there was quite a bit, but not not as much as there has been in later years. Right. Right.
3: Well, and then he he did, I believe, with four albums total of hank wilson doing other mm-hmm. people you know besides hank williams which actually uh, which i that's one thing i'm gonna have to look for because i'm a, a big hank williams fan but uh mm-hmm. wow i mean it's such is a tragic such a loss such a, 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 ba- a horrible loss and mm-hmm. uh, and i guess he'd had a heart attack in july yeah and, mm-hmm. and he had been He'd been really, he'd been in, I guess, in bad shape since then. Mm -hmm. Although his wife said in a statement that they released last night that they were, that he was hoping to get back on the road in January. So, Mm. oh, well. Mm. But anyway, if you can pick up his album, pick up any of his albums, you know, by all means. The first album has, which we had mentioned, the first album has Ringo and George. And George, right. And Mick Jagger and Charlie Mm -hmm. Watts and Bill Wyman, Mm -hmm. and and Eric, I believe Eric Clapton's on that too. I mean, he that was that that was kind of how much people respected him by they all you know the fact they all showed up for his for his albums you know. Yeah,
4: people who were listening to FM radio in the early seventies probably remember "Roll Away the Stone." Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. right from that
3: album. God, I love that. That that was one of my favorite. I think I, I. crank the hell out of that song more than i care to admit i mean and on and on the live album it sounds fantastic he does that mm-hmm. on the live, album, and it just sounds wonderful mm. so
0: it kind of tells you something when at the concert for bangladesh when george is introducing everybody he says someone y'all know by now leon yeah, <laughs> he doesn't right. even say the last name it's yeah. like if you, if you know right. him by the first name that's recognition right, right there Yeah. Right. um I had the chance to see him in concert in Connecticut, and he was superb. Um, the one thing he didn't really have much stage presence in the sense that he didn't talk to the audience at all; it was just banging out one song after another. But the performances were just amazing, and he had mm. great musicians to work with. So, uh, yeah. What year? What I, year was that? Oh, it's got to be over ten years ago.
3: See, I saw, him, I saw, him, I saw him when that when that live album came out, and he had a lot of stage. I mean, he was. I mean, if there was some kind of a sex god in rock and roll, he was it. Um, wow, he he was he was. Yeah,
0: I didn't know you felt that way about him, there, Steve. My
3: goodness, <laughs> no, I did. I didn't I'm I'm just saying I think I, I think there were a lot of um he had a lot of female fans let's put it that way. Oh uh-huh. yeah.
4: Oh yeah, I remember mm. uh, when I was working uh, working at Sam Goody in the, uh, in the in the early 70s there was one particular girl it was a cashier who absolutely was over the moon about Leon Russell. Mm. And, mm. Uh,
3: to, and 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 I one of the, one of the first reactions I looked for was Chris Odell, who yes, is the subject of the, his song Pisces Apple Lady." Yeah, and and they um, they, yeah, she's she writes. If you get the uh, Miss Odell book, uh, he uh, he's in that book. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, that's it was, he he was great. It was, yeah, what a loss. That's all I can – I mean, you can – we've been saying that a lot this year, but in this particular Mm. case, it it really means something. It really does.
0: Yeah. And I always admire people that really pay their dues. And Leon, just the beginning of his career, you know, Mm -hmm. being a session player and being part of the Wrecking Crew and learning about all the people that he worked with. And in particular, I always knew about the Gary Lewis connection. And I just wanted to look it up. But he he had a hand in uh, co-writing Everybody Loves a Clown. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also she's just Ooh. my style. And oh, sure. uh, you mentioned Frank Sinatra. He played on The Strangers in the Night album. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he also uh, played on
3: Mr. Tambourine, man. He played on the song yeah. Mr.
0: Uh-huh. Tambourine.
3: Oh, yeah. so I mean he was as part of that, that wrecking crew, I mean he was all over some of the the greatest
0: songs of the of the era, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, shows his versatility.
0: hmm yeah. yeah. And he also worked with Glenn Campbell, who was part <laughs> of the wrecking crew too. Mm -hmm. I just posted something on Facebook with uh, the two of them doing Gentle on My Mind together, and it's just amazing. So um, I just want to quickly mention a few of the Beatle connections here, because apart from the concert for Bangladesh, the song Bangladesh. uh, George said that that intro, uh, My Friend Came to Me, was an idea that Leon suggested to him, that you should tell a story at the very beginning as to why Mm -hmm. you're doing this. You know, and mm-hmm. so uh, Leon inspired George to uh, come up with the intro of that song. And also where the concert for Bangladesh is concerned. I know I said this before, but one of my favorite moments oh. in the entire show is when uh, George and Bob Dylan and Leon are playing together. And just like a woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and yeah. carrying the same microphone. Yeah. It's uh, such a magic moment. You know, I, I equate that with the Beatles when they did this boy, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. John Paul and George mm-hmm. are on the same microphone. I love that. And certainly the whole, you know, uh, young blood, jumping jack flash, medley right there was just, uh, you know, an amazing moment there as part of the concert. Just a great performance. But, um, Leon also did play on the rock and roll album from John. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, he played on Bad Fingers straight up album. It's him playing the piano on day after day. And, um, with George, the song "You" actually stems from uh, sessions with Ronnie Spector because it was supposed to be uh, written for her to record. Right. Oh, yeah. Leon Russell was on that, so when you when you look at the credits for "You" on the Extra Texture album, Leon's on it, Ooh. and he also yeah. plays on "Tired of Midnight Blue," the piano mm-hmm. on that. So uh, yeah, a lot of connections there with the Beatles, and you know, overall, just a a tremendous talent and and a great loss, Leon. Matter of
4: fact, going back to what you were saying about the uh, about the concert for Bangladesh, mm. the first single that Dylan released after the concert of Bangladesh in the fall of '71 was a record called "Watching the River Flow," and the <laughs> the first notes of that record are unmistakably Leon Russell's piano.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. wow. He had, a, he had a sound and a style that was all his own. He really sure nice. did. And we will greatly miss him. Yeah. That okay, we will. So let's move on to uh, our other topic for the show, and that is talking about Apple, the company Apple, the Beatles company Apple. And uh, you might have noticed that in some of our past shows, we might have been a little critical of Apple <laughs> here on the show. A little? A uh, little? <laughs> maybe no. one particular co-host of mine, <laughs> excels in that department, but um, I'm not going to mention any names here. But I thought maybe we'd keep it kind of positive this time. And this was actually Kit's own idea. Thank you, Kit. No. So we thought we'd talk about what Apple has done right to preserve yes. the people's legacy and keep it going. So since this was your idea, Kit, why don't we start with you? Get some, uh, get some thoughts on this.
1: Sure. Well, you know, and yeah, I, I found myself thinking about this because I'm as guilty as, as anybody else of, of putting uh, down Apple. And, and, you know, I found myself doing it again, you know, talking about like the Hollywood Bowl album and so forth. And so I thought this was a good challenge. You know, I, I thought, well, you know, why not talk about what they did? I think that I, I, I like how they have kept up. With technology and they realize that they have to reach, you know, new fans on their level. I mean, obviously, you know, they're not compromising, you know, the music in any way, but they're presenting it in different forms, like, you know, even the rock band, uh, you know. That, I thought, and particularly looking back, that was, a, I think, a, a brilliant idea. Because I remember, and, and I'm sure those of you go to Fest will remember when they set up the demos that year. You know, they had rooms. Mm-hmm. On, and, it, and it was just wonderful to see these, you know, teenage uh, teenagers enthusiastically playing the game. And, you know, and I thought... It was just a, a wonderful way to introduce them, but in a in a format that they're used to. I mean, obviously, gaming is huge, and they're very used to it. it it's interactive, which younger generations particularly respond to. And, of course, it was great for, for us longtime fans, too, because they did the wonderful remixes and, and kind of deconstructed the songs. I mean, I, I love that personally. But... I just think that was a a great way to keep, you know, you were saying earlier, Ken, about keeping their legacy alive.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that was a a brilliant way to do it. Um, And today, of course, a little more recently, they finally... Uh, got to iTunes. Now, I will criticize them a little bit here that I thought they were a little late to the party. However, um, they were smart in that they did build up, I mean, it was heavily hyped um, Mm -hmm. when they finally did reach iTunes. I mean, it was a big deal. And, of course, they ended up selling a lot more. (laughs) You know, people downloaded the music. Um, But again, it's for, for younger people. And then today, I was just thinking about this today with streaming media. You know, now they have reached Spotify and uh, and the other streaming media services. And this is, again, a way that they're trying to reach younger generations. I was talking about this at the New York Fest this past April. I was on the mm-hmm. Women Historians panel. We were talking about multi-generational fandom, and we talked about... How once they had streaming media I mean you know the number of listens they got was were, were just enormous I mean the numbers I I'd have to see if they have updated numbers but they were impressive and Spotify
4: some, I'm, oh, go I'm ahead. sorry I'm sorry Spotify says that they have had uh, uh, over a billion mm-hmm.
1: streams sure.
4: of, of Beatles songs
1: absolutely and I think that I mean that just shows you. That, you know, the, that the market is still there, that the interest is still there, and a, and a lot of the, the people listening are younger fans. But it was interesting. I remember talking about this uh, during this panel, and there were some, not all, but some first-generation fans who were really, like, they did not understand why this was necessary and they didn't use it and what was the point. And, you know, I, I think it is absolutely crucial now to reach younger fans on their level, you know, through platforms they're used to. And so I think Apple is, is doing a great job in keeping up with that kind of technology and preserving their legacy in that way.
0: You know, on, on this particular topic, oh, okay. I just want to say, because um, we brought up the Beatles 1 time and time again here mm-hmm. and how much of maybe a game-changer that album was because mm-hmm. i really don't think that the beatles and apple expected it to be as successful as it was it was number 1 all over all over you know the globe in like 37 countries and um, you know it became the biggest selling you know album or cd
4: it's I think the, of big, all the time. well the biggest selling uh, album of this century by anyone not named Adele. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, that's pretty good right there. But the fact (laughs) that so many of the people that either bought or were given as presents, the Beatles won, are a younger demographic, maybe that's what got the ball rolling on this whole thing about trying to attract the younger audience.
1: That's a good point, because a lot of the people who bought that album at the time were about my age. And they were then playing it for their kids, you know. And it was a way to introduce the band to casual fans you know i mean obviously i had all the you know the albums and and so forth i did get one for you know completus but um but i i think um you know again that's a good point ken that's it's a way to introduce the band to younger generations and and that's a good point that that may have gotten the ball rolling
0: Mm, right
3: Mm. can i make a comment please you were talking you were talking about the Beatles, not, uh, or the fact that the Beatles got uh, um, hooked into technology, the and but at the same time, like you said, they really waited a long time to get into iTunes and probably a lot longer than they should have. The fact that it didn't, real, I mean, the fact that they that they've made a lot of money, you know, in the in the interim, I mean, good thing, but at the same time, they probably had they. Neil Aspinall was the one that that kept them from it, you know. And well, I, you got to remember
4: something else that there was actually for quite some time there was litigation going on between the right. two companies. Yep. You know, right? No, you know, that's true too. You know, the Beatles had originally sued Apple Computer, you know, for basically for uh, in, in a sense for you know trademark infringement, and then Apple countersued them. And this went on, went back and forth for, for a number of years, and that's probably the main thing that kept uh, the Beatles off of iTunes because Steve Jobs was a huge, massive Beatle fan. Oh, I know, uh, in know. Fact, <laughs> And in fact, he used to, uh, when Apple would have their events, uh, when they introduced the iPod and when they introduced the iPad, when they introduced the iPhone, they, they used to, you know, he made sure – that they played Beatles music, even though they didn't have the uh, the rights to uh, uh, for for downloading on, on iTunes. Mm-hmm. You know,
3: and, well, Apple, App, App, an Apple computer was named after you know Apple Corps. I mean, sure. You know, so, exactly. But so I mean that's true. And but again, they could have they could have done this a lot sooner. And and they resisted for whatever reason. I mean, the rumors were that they were looking for more money, and that yeah. may have been. That may have been the case, you know, but mm-hmm. still, uh, I, you know, I, it's a good thing that they finally did it. I mean, there's no question about it. And it's a good thing that they've gone, you know, they've gotten hip to technology. Um, but it seemed like for a long time there were it wasn't going to happen. So,
0: yeah. Alan, how about you weighing in on
2: Yeah. um, If we can go way back historically, I can find Mm -hmm. lots of nice things to say about Apple, because when Apple was formed and started a record label, that record label really was exceptional. If you look at its catalog now, I mean you know boy they had everything they had the modern jazz quartet they had John Tavener the composer who really didn't become a big thing in the classical music world for a couple of decades after that I mean you know Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know by the early 2000s he was extremely hot but in 1968 he was just sort of starting Um, so they had two albums of his And um, James Taylor, you know, right out of Mm -hmm. nowhere, Mm -hmm. Mary Hopkin, right out of nowhere. Um, you know, then they had their avant-garde stuff with the John and Yoko things and George's electronic sounds. I mean, maybe people didn't like them all that much, but it became like, you know, kind of like a playground for them to do other stuff that wasn't the commercial things. Um, and of course they had the Beatles albums themselves. And I mean, it, it just was, I have a little poster that came out at the time. It must have been a marketing thing and it shows all the, maybe first dozen or more Apple album covers and every mm-hmm. single one of those records is a great record, you know, to this yeah. day. Um, mm. Jackie Lomax. I mean, you know, there's, there, mm-hmm. there, there really were no stinkers, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, so, so that was great. Um, it, it's a pity that um, probably as a result of the Beatles fracturing themselves, that that whole thing just fell apart but um you know so there's that okay that's a positive thing about apple the one plus uh set that came out last year i thought was great but i would have to footnote that by saying that this was at least like the the th- what the third Iteration of the one album, the first one was, um, apart from being generally useless, and I know the arguments, we just heard mm-hmm. them again, was badly mastered and, and uh, brick walled, as they say. Then they finally replaced the tracks with, you know, the remastered tracks, which, okay, now it sounds better at least, but it's still you know, the one album, Um, and then finally, finally, just a year ago, 15 years after bringing it out for the first time, they put out, you know, a really exceptional set of, you know, all those videos, I mean, they're still missing some videos, and Various people have had complaints about this or that. I thought it was really well done. I thought the the restoration on things like the Penny Lane clip and the Strawberry Fields clip and, and some of those others was very well done. Um, I can hear voices of some of my more um, erudite fanatical colleagues saying, yes, but they replaced eight frames in the Penny Lane video you know, with, <laughs> with eight other frames. And yeah, okay, okay, fine, you know, but um, – you know, but generally speaking, you know we can now say that those classic videos are out there. It took them way, way way, 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 way too long um, <laughs> because they're too busy focusing on you know, um, you know getting these the fourteen year olds to hear the hits for the first time, and I have no real problem with that, so long as they're also giving. The rest of us, the stuff that we would like, um, mm-hmm. the rock band thing um I wrote okay i mean i've <laughs> I've sort of made a career of pointing out the stuff they do that's wrong, especially when I was at The times, and when the rock band um, thing came out, I wrote a little piece for them saying that you know basically for people really interested in Beatles' music, this is entirely useless, except that even though it is very, very encrypted, It'll take a few months, but we will get those track isolations out yeah. one way or mm-hmm. another. And, right. you know, and, and, and it was done one way or another. I mean, first people would um, actually purposely fail at the game so that only one track would play and they mm-hmm. would record that. <laughs> and then finally, it took, I think, eight months to crack the encryption and, and people were able to get you know everything out. And so unwittingly. Apple put out something that we really, really wanted, which was track Mm -hmm. isolation. So that was a good thing, but I don't think they meant to do it. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. What else? Uh,
3: They also put out studio uh, studio fragments in those...
2: In those uh, Rockman mixes, too.
3: That's right, so, too. Yeah. So they, right. so the we,
2: we did so. get mm-hmm. plenty of extra stuff in there. It took an awful lot of work to actually get it because they didn't mean mm-hmm. us to have it. But, um, but we have it. And, and that's great. And, and that has allowed a lot of people who, you know, are very technically skilled to actually sort of recreate what the session track layouts were, which, you know, the, the the unencrypted um, rock band tracks themselves don 't quite give you it. People were able to say okay they they recorded the the drums and bass together, so this would have been that track and you know and, mm-hmm. and reconstruct those in a in a really good useful way I um, 'm mm-hmm. struggling to think of something else. Um, can you guys think of anything else they've done that I thought? Oh, the anthology! No. The anthology! <laughs> oh, the anthology! I uh, thought an was oversight. Cra- yeah, really a huge oversight. Um, because <clears throat> you know the TV series I thought was really well done. The DVDs and or, or VHSs when they eventually came out, and then the DVDs with even more material. That was that was fantastic, and uh, the book, you know, all Mm -hmm. the different iterations of the anthology. That was a good thing. Now that they're, uh, you know, not to tip our hand hand too much, because we'll talk about the the new one, the eight days a week next week. um, But there's a lot of stuff on the bonus disc that you begin to think, okay, you know what, if they took all the raw material from the anthology, including some of those outtakes. And some of these outtakes and re-edited the whole thing. You're you're beginning to get uh, mm-hmm. multi-perspective. Um,
3: I I wasn't you know I wasn't going to say anything about too much about that, but you're right, and uh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, no. you know
2: you could have you can have an anthology that would run you know two hours a day for six years. <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy with that, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, okay, I, that's, that's probably about as much as I can think. Oh, you know, the remastering of the of the albums in 2009. Again, it took them way too long, but I thought those were carefully done and, and was happy to have them. And then the mono reissues on vinyl, mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun, actually, to play those in that format. So there were little things here and there, but, you know, there's always so much more that we want, you know, that, yes. that it, it right seems now. like they're not giving us, you know, what we're expecting mm-hmm. each time so
0: yeah okay it seems natural for you steve to just bounce off of this
3: (laughs) (laughs) actually a couple of a couple of the ideas i had kind of bounce off what alan said Um, alan was talking about the the mono release the mono vinyl act the mono cds because i thought that was fantastic Um, I also put down the Apple CD box because I thought that was – that goes back to what you said about, uh, Alan, about how great the the catalog was um, because that box was fantastic. But I had a couple – I mean, I I also had a couple of other releases. I thought Yellow Submarine soundtrack was Mm. wonderful. I also thought Let It Be Naked was wonderful, and I've said before that I didn't like it in the beginning. But after listening to it over and over and listening to how how well it sounded, I think that that was really good too. But I also have two other things. I'll go to the first one first because it again, again it bounces off what you just were saying about um about uh, the movie, you know, that we're gonna talk about next week. The whole uh, between one plus and eight days a week, it seems to me that Ringo is getting more of a more of a spotlight. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great I think that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. I think thing. and one one thing one thing that and I uh, I'm going to probably tip a, a hand here uh, and Alan, tell me if you if you agree. Ringo says a lot in the special features on the movie, and some of his opinions are not stuff I've heard before. And it's so great to hear him talk about not just himself but about everybody else mm-hmm. and give mm-hmm. his and his views. And yeah. I think that's and let's make it clear, I mean everybody's always kind of pushed Ringo to the back like he doesn't know what he's talking about. He does he yeah. does know. Yeah. And and I'm so glad to see Ringo get, you know, get some kind of uh, credit now and and uh, it's it's long, long overdue. The other thing though is the whole nine nine oh nine thing. Not just the remastering, because the remastering of course was the reason, but the fact that it brought the Beatles back out into the spotlight again, and um, I know they've we've had little instances, you know, here there, you know. Since we had the Eight Days a Week movie, actually, that that kind of brought them out again. But really, nothing has been like the Nine Nine O Nine, and that was that was huge, and they, you know, that brought them brought everybody. Together again, and that, and uh, you know, the, it gave everybody a chance to celebrate them again.
2: We loved it and, too a bit,
3: right? Right, true. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the whole the idea that the Beatles are cool again is 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 mm-hmm. awesome, and and it's yeah. not it's not just the fact that you know they are what they are because we know that, but the fact that everybody else realizes that and they haven't, you know, I mean, because easily. The fact that I mean they're you know as old as they are, the beatles could have dropped off the public uh you know view, and they haven't um so that's you know it's a credit to both Apple and it's a credit to the fans actually too, so you can you can look at it from both sides
2: but what do you um, mean cool again? They were always cool it's just other yeah, people and, hadn't caught and, up and with and the fact that they were.
4: And, well, you know, when it, when it... and as I was saying earlier, I mean they they have the single biggest selling album of this century, as I said by anybody not named Adele. You know, it's so it's not as if they've faded away into history. They've been very much in the forefront. You know, there's all these Breakfast of the Beatles shows that run all over the country, and there are you know there are. <laughs> Numerous, uh, th- you know, numerous Beatles podcasts. You know what we do, uh, mm-hmm. so it's not as it's not as if they've, you know, faded into history. They they really have never really disappeared. No, but and on that particular
3: on that particular day, they took over. They took Well, over yeah, to that
4: me. was yeah, that was absolutely. That's that's what I'm
3: that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of talking about. Yeah, and that doesn't that, was, that doesn't happen. That doesn't yes. happen. It didn't happen. Go ahead, Ken.
0: There's never been a time when they faded away, but there have been periods when, you know, there hasn't been much talked about them and their record sales weren't mm-hmm. as great. And like, yeah. for example, in the early 80s, you had, you know, those compilations that came out like Real Music and The Beatles' mm-hmm. 20 Greatest Hits. They mm-hmm. didn't do that well. No? And then there was really nothing until uh, Live at the BBC, really. So you're dealing with over a decade there when you didn't hear about new releases of Beatle music at all, or compilations of any kind. Right. But they were always looked upon. You know, Everybody respected them for what they achieved. But you know, there are, there's always going to be moments when they're in the spotlight and people are talking about them again. There was a time there in the 80s and early 90s when it, I don't believe it was that way. They're always there. I think, we, I, think we mm-hmm. have, I think we tend to look at it
3: more from inside our bubble. I mean, for us, they're always there. Not for everybody else. On nine nine oh nine, they were there for everybody. Period.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I do remember. That's, that's I, a, I, yeah, I think it was eighty seven when they came out on compact disc. When the whole mm-hmm. uh, when all their albums. Right. right. Yes, and th- and that, that was, was big pretty also. big. That was a pretty yeah. big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. And it, of course, well, in that, <laughs> we're now getting into criticizing apple again because of course that proved to be controversial i remember that mm-hmm. about you know the early albums being you know that they chose to stick with the original mono and oh my gosh i remember the letters that were sent in to Beatle fan that complained that the
0: channels mm-hmm.
1: were reversed and i mean it was it was really controversial i remember
3: Alan, alan's interview with george martin <laughs> yeah right exactly, exactly. yeah so
2: those, yeah. were <laughs> Those were the
3: days. Those were the days. Those were the days.
0: Al, Al, how about you? What would you What would you pinpoint as being major moments? Well, the uh, actually, legacy? I think
4: I have one item left on here, which <laughs> which you guys haven't already covered, uh, and you may have. Uh, Alan actually may have uh, mentioned it anyway, and that's the the Yellow Submarine song track. Steve did. Yeah. I, 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 I oh, you that. did. That came out mm-hmm. in nineteen in nineteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. which uh, was uh, you know uh, uh, certainly for uh, for people who have made the case that the entire catalog needs to be needs to be remixed. Obviously, the Yellow Submarine song track shows shows what can be done with the catalog you know mm-hmm. not that it was not that it was that huge a uh, you know a commercial success it certainly wasn't the commercial success that one would be the following year mm-hmm. but um but it certainly uh, it showed what you know what could be done as far as upgrading uh, upgrading the sound, uh, Ken very briefly touched on the uh, the first Live at the BBC album, which mm-hmm. kind of appeared almost out of nowhere with very little notice at the end of November of uh, of, of 1994, and mm-hmm. that kind of you know first of all it had been people had been clamoring for some kind of official. Release of at least a portion of the B tracks. Obviously, by that time, the Great Dane box had already come out, which was mm-hmm. the you know the mm-hmm. the the big the big Kahuna BBC bootleg of the of the, at least that uh, that time. Uh, and obviously, there uh, and I can recall Alan going into great depths about this about the. Um, uh the sound problems with the with the bb the first bbc album because of the no noise um Ooh. situation that was in vogue at that time but apart from that it still it was the first you know collection of the Beeb material that had come out commercially, and and it kind of served almost as a prelude to the the anthology project, which rolled out almost exactly a year later. Uh-huh. You know, and and going back to uh, kind of following up on what Alan was saying about the the original Apple Records catalog, uh-huh. um, you know, really even though the the catalog isn't really that extensive note for note it is it's an outstanding catalog uh, a very diverse, um, as Alan mentioned, there were, you know, there were legitimate stars that came out of uh, the Apple years. James Taylor being ob- the most obvious one, Badfinger probably being the other one, mm-hmm. um, uh, the other, the, the other ma- major one, Billy Preston. Although, of course, Billy had his, uh, well, of course, James Taylor had his greatest success after Apple, but so did Billy Preston as well. Mm-hmm. Uh but but it uh from you know from Doris Troy to the Radha Krishna Temple to the Sundown Playboys to Chris Hodge to David Peel to Mary Hopkin, they the label was all over the to the modern jazz quartet. Uh the Raga soundtrack, uh various various and sundry other things. Uh Apple was all over the, the map, musically. And virtually everything that the label uh, put out was of, of a very high quality. And, um, and then uh, in 1990, I guess, well, beginning in 1991, they began rolling out CD reissues of the, well, not even reissues, CD issues of the, the Apple, the non-Beatles Apple catalog. And they did uh, once again, they did they did actually a, a pretty good job. Uh, unfortunately, capital kind of co co-opted uh, the situation because since uh, I think they were expecting particularly the James Taylor album and the Badfinger albums to sell a lot better than they actually did. And so capital ended up basically, Dropping out of the the project, I guess maybe about halfway through. So the 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 last couple of batches of the the reissues in '93 and '94 and '95 um, were uh, were you know had to be obtained as imports from Ooh. from EMI. Uh, but they did they did actually a, a pretty a pretty good job. With those reissues, and then perhaps even though they didn't roll out the complete catalog, they probably did a better job in um, in 2010. Yeah, w- in October of 2010, with the the 17 albums that they did reissue, plus that wonderful "Come and Get It" best of Apple Records compilation, mm-hmm. which included a lot of things, a lot of singles that you know had never appeared on apple albums things like thingummy bob uh things like the sundown playboys single uh chris lon hodge chris hodge lon and derrick van eaton mm. you know etc cetera, et cetera. so i think they did uh, uh you know a very good job there uh of course the anthology uh you know the entire the entire scope of the anthology project, you know, not just no, you know, not just the broadcast and uh, video and DVD uh, and even the director's cut versions of the of the film, but also the three double CD anthology uh, audio discs, all of which went to number one. That's right. And 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 plus also, as Alan mentioned, the book. Uh, so certainly. Certainly, the anthology project has to be has to be considered as a major uh, a major success uh, mm-hmm. for Apple. And as Steve mentioned, definitely the uh, uh, the 90909 event with the uh, the release of the two the two box sets of the the stereo and mono Beatles catalog, plus the rock band of uh, discs. And, uh, and also the, the, the release of the, the stereo album separately. All of that on the same day. It really was a, uh, uh, definitely a, uh, uh, an event. And uh, we did touch, I think, on love as well.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I, know know we certainly,
4: I think that certainly has to be a, uh, a positive. Mm-hmm. You and you know, thought you had
0: nothing to add there, Al. <laughs> well, no, a lot of this is
4: really going back on, you know, kind of yeah. reinforcing what you guys have been saying. Right.
1: Yeah, if if I could just touch on just one thing you said, Alan, because mm-hmm. I had it on my list too, and and Alan, I think you you hit the nail on the head about this too when you were talking about the albums that Apple originally issued, and and I think Alan, you said you know they weren't really commercial, and yeah, I think that's one of their main, that one of their strengths. I mean, you know, Al, you just talked about how diverse, uh, you know, their, their uh, you know, lineup was, mm-hmm. their clientele. And, you know, these are people that, who knows if they could have gotten record deals. I mean, you know, as talented as James Taylor was and is, you know, he didn't fit into any category. I mean, you know, who knows if, if you know, would have. I mean, I'm sure the Apple connection helped him eventually, you know, really gain fame, but Apple mm-hmm. took the chance on him. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think that I just think that was an absolute strength that, uh, and that it really became kind of a, a maverick label that they were able to take on these these definitely non-commercial acts because let's face it the Beatles could have done that I mean they could have set up their Mm -hmm. own label and said hey let's let's produce some hits you know let's let's listen (laughs) to what's going on on the charts and then let's let's find some bands that sound like that and the way you go I mean they you know of course they wanted to make money but they they were also interested in nurturing talent and so absolutely I think that was one of Apple's main strengths.
0: I just love the fact that we're bringing this up because I don't think the Beatles get nearly enough credit for their own record company and signing all these acts. I think that the, the artists that the Beatles brought to Apple were really an extension of themselves mm-hmm. and giving themselves the chance to, to uh, put out music or art that they might have wanted to do but probably couldn't get away with as much in the Beatles. Mm-hmm. The fact that John and Yoko could do all the avant-garde stuff that they did you know, George Harrison could put out Wonderwall music where it's almost all Indian music, whereas on a Beatle album, he'll get one Indian track. Or he can produce the Radha Krishna Temple. You know, he could do that. They could all fulfill a lot of their own artistic ambitions through other artists. And, um, you know, like you said, it's so diverse, all the artists that were on Apple, and they deserve a ton of credit for that.
2: And, and not only that, um, in the early days they were actually hands on you know you've got paul mccartney playing bass on the james taylor album on some songs mm. you've got mm. you've got george mm. harrison on uh jackie Lomax's you've and doris troy and billy, billy preston, preston you know yeah. so uh you also have i mean I, I i i think they intended these to be commercial releases um and i think that they were, in in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of those early Apple albums had hit singles off them, and um, not only that. When, you know, once you began to hear, I mean, okay, maybe not everybody in the world is as crazy as some of us, but once you began to hear that. Paul's playing bass on that. George is playing guitar on that. You kind of went out and bought the album to hear that too, and then yeah. if you were turned on to the you know to the performer and and you also you know what a lot of these albums because they were on Apple it came with kind of an endorsement you know the Beatles wouldn't yeah. assign these guys and the Beatles were you know they were they had to okay everything even if they didn't bring them into the label even if they didn't sit there and listen to the demo tapes which i think in some cases they did it's still They signed off on it, and so it being on Apple was an endorsement, and and that's something that no other label has had. I mean, you know, you could say, well, okay, Reprise Records was Frank Sinatra's label, but you didn't get the idea that, you know, Jimi Hendrix was signed because Frank Sinatra thought he was great, you know. Right. Um, (laughs) You know, whereas, you know, here with with Apple, you've got, it's an artist-led label, and anything that's on it, you've got to assume is personally endorsed by them, and that's it, when it's the Beatles, I mean, that's a big deal.
0: That's a good point right there. Mm-hmm. As far as all of, um, you know, all the Apple releases, I have very little criticism to make for any of it, because I think most of it was well done. I especially love the BBC uh, double CDs that came out. And even though yep. there was that no noise problem in the very beginning, in terms of the actual material, it was fantastic. I first, Live yeah. at the BBC was an amazing collection to put out. Mm-hmm. And um, between that and on air, you know, I'm sure that there are many people listening who wish there'd be the box set of everything. Right. Sure. Uh, of course. But if you, had, if you <laughs> have to whittle it down to four CDs, I think, uh, you know, you got the best of the bunch. But why do you have to
2: whittle things. it down to the four CDs? You know, well, you don't have to. You can do what you want. You're the Beatles.
0: Well, I agree with that, and I wish that, you know, the record company feel that way. Mm. But um, you know, that's, that's another topic that we've hammered to the ground here. On yes. The show is the, as far as, you know, <laughs> who is your audience? Are you trying to appeal to the hardcore fan that wants everything? Or do you want to appeal to a mainstream crowd? Um, you know, I love all these releases like Love. Love can attract, uh, you know, young fans to the Beatles just by mm-hmm. seeing it in Las Vegas. Yep. You know, it, you can win over new fans that way and um you know let it be naked was fine but i like what steve said first of all the, the sound quality on let it be naked is fantastic <laughs> it, it really sounds so crystal clear whether or not you think you know it was worth their while to do it for a few songs that really had the phil specter production behind it you know there's only like four songs on let it be where phil specter did a, a lot uh-huh. and even then, i would even question a lot <laughs> um you know, Yellow Submarine song track, I loved a lot. Um, you know, most of it was fine. And I, I do like the fact, as Kit has said, that they are trying to appeal to a younger demographic. And one thing that I haven't mentioned here on this show is that about a week after Eight Days a Week um, was released in theaters, I got to attend the Q&A at the college where I do my Beatles show, Every Little Thing. And Jeff Jones was there, the CEO of Apple. And he took uh, Q&A from the audience. And one question that we've addressed here on this show regarding eight days a week is, why is it Hulu picked it up instead of Netflix? And Jeff Jeff Jones said, clear out. They have a younger audience. So Mm -hmm. the Beatles are very much aware of this. And Apple is very much aware of this. Hmm. And when you think about it, yes, there's so much unreleased stuff on the Beatles that I would love to see come out and i think eventually a lot of it will but to me personally as time goes on what's more important than the beatles legacy continuing by having new generations find the music and you've got to do so much to get them to bring them to that music however method you do it i'm all for so um you know eight days a week i'm sure there are a lot of people who thought well it was supposed to have so much unreleased footage of the beatles live and there wasn't enough for a lot of people and it was more geared towards a mainstream audience, maybe a younger audience, well, that could be a good thing, because if it leads to them wanting to investigate the Beatles catalog, what's more important than that? As time goes on, it gets more and more difficult for any artist, you know, the veteran artist, for people to discover older and older music. So whatever Apple can do in that direction, (laughs) I applaud them for that reason. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. All right, so anybody want to add anything? A
4: dissenting opinion, Mr. Cozen?
2: No, no, I mean, I I, I don't disagree. I just think that, you know, maybe they need to employ more people so that you can have one group of people doing all of the new stuff that we've all been buying on bootleg all these years and would be perfectly happy to buy from Apple. Um, And one group of people working on how to attract this year's
0: twelve-year-olds. Mm-hmm. The problem yeah, for that the, too. We, the, 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 the biggest thing wrong with trying to attract both audiences.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just that they can only do one thing at a time, and that's a big frustration. You know that 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 if like once you see that it's going to be sort of a mainstream new audience kind of project, you realize that that's for, it for the year. For a while, you know. Okay, so that's it for the year. But um, you know, we're sort of running out of years here. Some of us. <laughs> And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd well, like
4: Well, to... one thing you got to remember, though, is that unlike most of its history, Apple is no longer autonomous. You Ooh. know, they're now just simply part of the Universal Music Group. Right. And unfortunately, they call oh, they call the shots. Yes and, the...
2: and no. Mm, yes okay. and no. The deal is that Universal has the right of first refusal. Mm-hmm. Apple could put together a monster project, and if Universal didn't want it, it could go to Sony. Mm they probably don't, you know, wanna think about that because that gets a bit messy, but that's the yeah. whole deal, that's the whole reason that we're not getting annual 50th anniversary, you know, reissues issues of unreleased stuff the way Dylan is doing it. I mean, he's doing it because he's happy to do it because basically this simply preserves the copyright for the record company, not for the artist. The the copyright reverts to the artist anyway. And the deal that Capital, uh, that uh, I guess Universal and Apple made was, okay, we don't feel like putting these things out now. And rather than have Universal... Lose the copyright as such. The deal will be that if we want to put out a package, Universal has the right of first refusal. But if they refuse, Apple is a free agent. Mm. Very
0: interesting. interesting. They mm. just shop oh, yeah. around, they could uh-huh. shop around their own products.
2: They could, you mm. know. And looking at what Sony's doing with Dylan, I would think that they would be happy to have, you know, the complete BBC archives come out if Universal doesn't want to do it. Hmm.
0: I don't know if I, I. can't see Paul and Ringo wanting that. Why? No. <laughs>
2: Why? It's not embarrassing. I mean, they're good performances
0: all the way through. Uh, we feel that way. I don't know if they would. You know, they probably they're probably thinking that they want something that commercially would sell very well, that would make the Beatles look good. You know, and will, would also appeal to younger people to keep that legacy growing. Hmm. That's. I think they're thinking that way too.
2: I they, could be wrong. But. They need to talk to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the bottom I, line I, behind this, this whole conversation is the Beatles need to talk to Alan. Right. That's what this right. whole thing's all about. There
3: we go. There we go. <laughs> I actually think I actually think um, that uh, Paul and Ringo have differing views. I think Ringo is a little more commercial than Paul is, but on on Beatles releases, uh, not necessarily on his own. And on his music, but I think on Beatle releases I think
0: be a little looser on in, that. In,
3: in what way? Well, I think Paul's a little more open minded as to what he would what he would uh, go for. Probably Yoko too. I think you know. whereas I think Ringo is more interested in just straight uh, commercial, stu- com- More commercial releases. Uh, I mean, you could go back and talk. Uh, I mean, we can do this next week when we talk about the DVD. But the whole idea, of, uh, I'd love to hear the conversations that went into the making of Eight Days a Week and what everybody was thinking. Uh, I, I think that would be quite interesting. Mm. Uh,
0: can see I see what no. you're saying there, Steve, because Paul, you know, in recent years, every now and then he keeps bringing up Carnival of Light he would like mm-hmm. to see that come out, you mm-hmm. know. I don't know if he's saying that just so that you know gets his name in the in the press again for bringing up the Beatles for something.
3: Uh, <laughs> he has brought it up, which, by the way, I don't particularly want to hear. Um, yeah, but, I'm not yeah.
1: clamoring for that.
3: <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, oh. uh, there are other things, and I think that, as I've said before, I think the scrutiny and the reaction to it would be so negative they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They'd be sorry they even put it out there. So I, I really wouldn't want to see that. But no. I, but I, I, I just seem to think that Paul would be looser, in terms of you know more. Li- I hate to say more liberal, but I think more liberal. I think Ringo's Ringo's more narrow-minded in terms of of what he what he would bring out. I mean, look at his music, look at what he look at the All Star Band. I mean, that's a fairly narrow concept. I, I can't see whereas whereas paul paul tries more uh, different things so i don't know whatever
1: well I and know, i but. and and i just have to i would say one more thing that uh, that al uh, thank you for bringing up the Great Dane um, BBC yeah. boy. <laughs> boy, you just took me down memory lane. Man. Oh God, I mean, yeah, that and yellow dog, and oh my gosh, those were some of the first when I first started getting into bootlegs. So oh. <sighs> memories, the, the, memories the, Thank the you.
3: The Great <laughs> the Great Dane was a great story for me because I managed to I I got a hold of somebody that. That uh, had one, and I. It was just before Christmas, and there was going to be a tight squeeze uh, to get it to me by Christmas, and I got it. And mm. um, so that was because I all of a sudden I went out on my porch, and there was this package, and I went, "Oh no, I know what this is," and <laughs> sure it was. So there,
2: I ended up hearing from the guys who made it at some point because um. I think they appreciated the fact that when I reviewed the BBC set for The Times, I um, compared it negatively to the Great Dame re- release. Um, <laughs> right, I remember that. And um, well, Capital was apparently not happy, Great Dame no. really was.
4: <laughs> oh, I <laughs>
2: so. bet. I bet. I-
3: did they put you on your on their mailing list right after that?
2: No, they didn't actually. Strangely enough, but um, they didn't do too much stuff after that, really. I was but, gonna
4: say, yeah.
2: Uh, but um, the, but then my editor ended up. My editor um, for that story used to take the bus from New Jersey into New York to you know to go to the Times Building and was on the same bus as the publicist for Capital. And she actually came <laughs> up to him and said, it's not fair having Alan review these things because he really knows the material. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. A publicist conception of a music critic's right. job. <laughs> right. Not know the wow. stuff and just say it's good.
4: <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Have, have John wow. Rockwell review it instead or something.
0: <laughs> so... All right. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. And um, what we would like to do is each of us tell you folks how you can get in contact with us. Why don't we start with Steve?
3: You can get me at BeatlesExaminer at gmail.com or on my Facebook page and my Beatles news group, Beatles News and Commentary. All right. Al, how
0: about you?
4: Facebook, Al Sussman, Twitter at ASUSS49, and one very quick Plug because it involves one of the affiliates that carries uh, uh, things we said today. Uh, Alan Haber's Pure Pop Radio. Uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, we had a lovely afternoon on Skype uh, recording uh, one of his in conversation shows, and that will be uh, that will be running on uh, November 22nd at 8 p.m. Okay. So a week from a week from Tuesday,
0: as we're taping okay. this. All right. I'll have to listen to that one. The first show was great, Al.
4: Yeah, uh, uh, Alan gave me a concept uh, of uh, picking out between 1964 and 1969 a number one song from each year and a song that I th- that I thought should have been
0: a number one song. Hmm. Huh. For each year. Hmm. Yes. OK. Interesting idea. OK. Alan, how about you? Okay, you can get to
2: me on Facebook um, at either Alan Kozen or Alan Cozen Remixed. And on Twitter, um, just at Symbol Kozen.
0: And how about you, Kit?
1: Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, uh, handle tool, And you can also uh, check out my website at KiddoTool.com.
0: And as for me, Ken Michaels, you can email me at everylittlething at ATt.net You can also check out my Facebook page at Ken Michaels. And then there's my website, kenmichaelsradio.com. Be sure to look at my Beatles trivia and games page, because every week you can win one of nine prizes, one of which happens to be Kit's book. called No Song way! Of Singing. <laughs> yes. In fact, you <laughs> told me before the show that I can keep it on that page permanently. Like, you you know. bet. Absolutely, as you want, man. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this has been great. This has been a, an incredible conversation. And Kit, thanks so much for being here again. And mm-hmm. we welcome you sometime soon in the future.
1: Always a pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: <laughs> All right. For Steve Marinucci, Al Sussman, Ellen Cozen, Dr. Kit O'Toole, and myself, Ken Michaels, you've been listening to Things We Said Today. Thanks for listening. And...